Businesses push back against COVID closures. Why wasn't everyone doing this and why are we all being penalized for maybe the actions of a few? The feds expand benefits. BC promises to help and many say it can't come soon enough. A new daily infection record. A lot of people won't be getting picked up. The high demand for testing and how close we are to capacity. And a caring friend saves her neighbor. How the gift of Christmas cookies ended up being a lifesaver. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We have reached another new high in daily infections in B.C. We'll have those case numbers for you in just a moment. But first, as we grapple with yet another wave of COVID, businesses are once again bracing for the impact of more restrictions. Amadagahi now with the story of a dance instructor who's facing a double whammy just in time for the holidays. Fever is such a new thing. For some, it has felt like the new measures aiming to defend against the Omicron variant in BC are knocking down the door and allowing early COVID anxiety to make its way back in. How would you feel if you lost 100% of your livelihood in less than 24 hours with no end, end day in sight? The closure of dance studios means movement instructor Portia Favro has, for the time being, lost two sources of income. She can't teach. She doesn't think she can perform either. A lot of us have already prepaid for our January studio space, and we're not going to receive that financial compensation back. Um, That's just kind of the way this industry goes. She and the many other businesses effectively shuttered as of midnight are still without solid word when or if the province can help them get through. It's going to hit them severely. November and December are really the most money-making months uh, for these types of businesses. Ottawa announced its support package Wednesday. The province of BC promising a similar announcement before Christmas, maybe even as early as tomorrow. One of the things that would give them some certainty is an immediate response that says, we're going to be there, we'll reinstate the programs that we had in place, and we will be there to support you. Many of the people feeling hopeless have gone through this now for the second or third time. It is now common to hear this. I think a lot of people might walk away, even myself included. Fever, yeah, I burn for soup. Decisions made to move on from industries proving more and more to be just a shadow of their former selves. And Matagahi, Global News. Meanwhile, we more about what kind of support the federal government will be providing to those affected by restrictions associated with Omicron. As Ted Chernecki reports, that financial help comes as case numbers across the country soar. You knew this wouldn't be good when today's federal news conference was held virtually. And it wasn't for most Canadians. But it was for many businesses. In short, Canada's health care system is facing possibly its biggest threat since this whole pandemic started. We need to prevent Omicron from overwhelming our healthcare systems. Omicron cases nationally are now at about 2,360. Less than a month ago, there was none. And this chart is probably more revealing. For the last six months, the weekly average of new COVID cases in Canada, including Omicron now, has been under 5,000. 
Yesterday alone, there were 11,300 new cases. Nowhere since the pandemic started has this graph risen more sharply. Generally speaking, hospitalization numbers lag cases by about a week to 10 days. And that's really bad news if you're a healthcare worker. Now that they're facing what could be the largest and most sudden impact to date, at any time when they're arguably at the most exhausted, they need to know that we're all doing everything we can to minimize the threat before us all. And that brings us to the good news for some businesses. As of December 19th, more workers are eligible for wage and rent subsidies. It means that if you are an employer who has to reduce the capacity of your main business by 50% or more, you will be eligible for wage and rent subsidy support through the local lockdown program. And we are lowering the revenue decline threshold from 40% to 25%. Employees can get up to $330 a week, and they should hope they work for a company that doesn't give upper management big bonuses. That public companies receiving the wage subsidy through these support programs that increase their top executive compensation in 2022 compared to 2019 will have this wage subsidy support clawed back. And to really complicate matters, this is the festive season. Festive meaning feast. Everyone's being urged to keep gathering small. If not already, get vaccinated, lest it be Omicron being the one feasting on you. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Yeah, just a day after smashing the all-time single-day high for COVID-19 cases, B.C. has set a new record. In a late release, the numbers are updated, and we now know we got 1,528 new cases, surpassing yesterday's record total by more than 200. Sadly, there have been six COVID-related deaths in the last day. 187 people are in hospital, and 71 patients are in the ICU. We have 7,300 active cases now and 88.9% of eligible people 12 and older are now fully vaccinated. All right, we are getting a look at where BC's current COVID-19 hotspots are. Keith Baldry joins us now for more on that. And Keith, the interior and northern health regions were previously some problem areas, Mm -hmm. but that is shifting and quickly. Shifting quickly and big time. It's amazing. Vancouver Coastal was trucking along at about 50 cases a day on average for weeks. Vancouver Island, about 75 to 100 cases a day for weeks. Uh, the maps released today tell a completely different story. Omicron has flipped everything on its head. Take a look at the week from December 13th to 20th. North, North Shore now the number one hotspot in B.C. 356 cases, an increase of 275 in just one week. Victoria, over here, we didn't have much COVID to speak of for, for well more than uh, 20 months. We now 280 cases in one week, an increase of 109. Vancouver West End, 244. It's actually an increase of 200. That's my error. That's a typo attributed to me. It's an increase of 200. The Vancouver West Side, 231. Uh, the Tri-Cities area is starting to uh, creep up in number. And Whistler, I thought I'd throw that in. It's not as big as some of the others, but we did see a big outbreak at Whistler last year, and I think some people are nervous about what we may see with Whistler this year. So again, a lot of these cases attributed to dense uh, urban living 
seeing a lot of people gathering in informal social gatherings, parties, and that's leading to Omicron spreading at a very high rate. The good news, Chris, though, I just tracked the numbers again, even though we've had more than 5,000 cases over uh, the last five days or so, the number of people going into the hospital has not increased, and that's good news. That's where public health officials are most wary and nervous about is the hospitalizations. If these cases continue to go north of 1,500, 1,600, 2,000, perhaps as many as 3,000, as long as it doesn't translate into higher hospitalizations to a great amount, that's good news, and so far that's not happening. Yeah, lots we still don't know, but uh, mm -hmm. early trends look good. That's, uh, that's great. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, when BC's latest round of COVID restrictions go into effect at midnight tonight, it means gyms and other fitness facilities will have to lock their doors. That's a huge blow to businesses and to the physical and mental well-being of clients. And as Neetu Gartacher reports, operators say they're being unfairly singled out with no evidence of transmission. Six minutes in. Awesome work. Keep it moving. It's the final workout of 2021 for members of this Surrey CrossFit gym, which also focuses on nutrition and whole body health. Someone told me this has been the number one thing saving their lives in terms of their mental impact. This facility, everything in their world has been crumbling, and this hour a day helped them push. Nice work, guys. But with the Wednesday night shutdown of all fitness centers, gyms, and dance studios, small business owners like Joe and Sharon say the industry-wide shutdown isn't fair. We disagree with what's happening. Uh, and I, I, you know, looking back on the records, we've had 140,000 unique check-ins in this facility. Um, we've had zero cases of COVID. Let's go, Priya. The livelihood of these new parents, they say, now depends on government support, details of which the province says will be announced in the coming days. News dropped Tuesday of the shutdown ahead of the New Year's rush. It would be devastating for everybody. I think a lot of us are going to struggle with it a lot. It's just really, really too bad. I don't know. And kind of shocking overnight. Dr. Bonnie Henry says with the threat of the Omicron variant, this shutdown is necessary. No. But small business owners like Brenda Dillon say they've gone above and beyond to adapt and ensure a safe environment. We have three locations across the Lower Mainland and across all three we've had over 65,000 visits over the pandemic and we haven't had a single case of COVID in our studio doors. The industry is trying to understand um, and comprehend why we would be shut down when pubs, restaurants, casinos are still open. Um, have no positive benefit of, of wellness. As the number of signatures on this petition grow, many are calling on the province to reconsider the rules. We'd like the government to rethink this public health order and uh, perhaps consider, you know, um, a different position as we head into the new year. He says at a time when many need it most, the impacts of an industry-wide shutdown are likely to linger much longer than January 18th. Global News. Rising COVID numbers will affect UBC students in the new year. The university announcing the majority of classes will move online at least until January 24th. That decision applies to campuses in the Lower Mainland and the Okanagan. UBC says campuses will still be open in the new year so students can access housing, libraries and other student services. Last weekend, UBC students demanded exams go online because of the threat from Omicron. Public health experts have written to university presidents recommending classes continue in person in the new year. 
Well, the lineups at testing sites started early this morning and they didn't let up all day. And while people are willing to wait hours to learn their COVID status, Dr. Bonnie Henry is hinting the province could soon hit its limit in both testing capacity and the usefulness of what those tests reveal. Jordan Armstrong reports. High cases, high anxiety, driving thousands to line up for as long as five hours at testing centers. Clearly something that is not sustainable. The case counts will become unreliable, probably already are, knowing that because of the limited testing capacity, um, a lot of people won't be getting picked up. The province has said BC has a capacity to test 20,000 people a day for COVID-19. Ontario has nearly four times that capacity, but is already talking about restricting who can get tested. We have to anticipate that as this virus continues to double every few days, uh, which is what it wants to do, um, that we may have to put some limitations on the PCR and on the RAT. No government can afford to exhaust its PCR test supply at drive-in and walk-up sites. Some must be held back for health care and essential workers, as well as facility outbreaks. Wednesday, evidence of this at the St. Vincent Testing Centre in Vancouver. Many people were sent home with a rapid test and denied a PCR. We do it ourselves and you get the results in 15 minutes. I thought we might have to send it away to Life Labs or something, but yeah, all all done at home. (laughs) Tuesday, Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry said BC's guidance on when to get tested is changing. If you're vaccinated, you have mild symptoms, self-isolation and self-monitoring and caring for yourself right now are important things that you can do. You don't necessarily need to get a test. She said more details on the new guidance will be made available in the coming days. But she reiterated those who are asymptomatic should not be lining up. Not now not in the future. It is inevitable now that most of us in the province will be exposed at some point. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. And a quick footnote, Vancouver Coastal Health would like anyone who has tested or who has had a positive result on one of those take-home rapid tests to report it to them. You can do so online at vch.ca slash COVID-19. Just click on COVID-19 testing. They say there's no need for a follow-up PCR test. A reminder from Canada Border Services Agency that travelers once again need negative COVID-19 PCR test results before they can enter back into this country. That's regardless of how long you have been away. The rules were reinstated yesterday following concerns over the rapid spread of the Omicron variant. They had been relaxed on November 30th for Canadians and permanent residents returning home after trips of less than 72 hours. But that was once again scrapped. Travel restrictions came down. A 52-year-old man has become Vancouver's 18th homicide victim this year. Police were called to the Hazelwood Hotel near Hastings and Dunleavy at 9.30 this morning. They found a man who'd been stabbed outside the hotel. He was taken to hospital where he later died. No arrests have been made and the investigation is ongoing. If you have any information that might help, you're asked to contact VPD. Six people have now been charged in connection with multiple suspected drug lab busts. Richmond Mounties say the, comp, uh, the complex eight-month operation found large amounts of cash, drugs, and prohibited firearms. Ramina Dea has the details. 
This was a monstrous seizure of drugs and guns at a time when the province is losing six people a day to the deadly overdose crisis, which is getting worse. Richmond RCMP say more than 100 kilos of drugs were seized. We're talking over 300,000 doses of suspected meth and more than 6,000 doses of suspected fentanyl. Three pill presses capable of producing 30,000 pills an hour, also part of the evidence, plus five rifles and three pistols, say the Mounties. I can confirm it was multiple residences that uh, these warrants were executed at. And, you know, it's it's huge that uh, we were able to find these and we were able to dismantle these alleged labs. It's huge for public safety. Police have announced charges against six people, including possession, trafficking and weapons related offenses. <laughs> The body count from poisonous street drugs continues to rise. More than 8,000 dead and counting since a public health emergency was declared in B.C. in April 2016. As part of the Richmond investigation, which began almost two years ago, police say five vehicles were also seized, plus $200,000 and 70 silver bars. All of this evidence, including 23 mobile phones and four luxury watches, have been handed over to the B.C. Civil Forfeiture Office. Romina Dea, Global News. A gesture of kindness that turned out to be a lifesaver. A Nanaimo woman left a Christmas gift for her neighbor she knew he'd appreciate. But when he didn't pick it up, she knew something was wrong. How she saved him, next on the News Hour. A holiday tradition at the Vancouver Aquarium. Why Scuba Claus is coming for a swim. Coming up on the News Hour. And the old car that links this family with a lost loved one. A restoration project that's bringing them closer together later tonight. Right now, though, Nanaimo RCMP get about 400 requests for wellness checks each month. And earlier this week, one of those calls turned out to be a lifesaver. Kristen Robinson explains what happened and why the close call is bringing a tight-knit community of seniors even closer together. Sometimes you just need a friend. And many seniors in this Nanaimo community near Buttertub's Marsh rely on Nikki Wilson. Wilson bakes cookies for her neighbors, including 83-year-old Bob, who she says relies on care workers and has no family. She dropped off a batch outside his door on December 15th. Five days later, her delivery was untouched. I was getting concerned because he always answers my phone and always not answers my knock, so it takes him a little while to get up, but... No, he doesn't. She said there was just enough room for a little peek hole in the blind there normally where she could see him sitting on the couch watching TV. So she made a point of looking and Bob was not on the couch. I phoned many times to check on people and they told us to phone the police, so I phoned the police. RCMP immediately dispatched Constable Butler for a wellness check. He finally saw a motionless body on the floor. Didn't have a key, so he breached the door, sure enough. He was critically injured. Police say the elderly man may have been in medical distress on his bathroom floor for upwards of five days. Most likely that person would have died if it hadn't been for the caring neighbor, it hadn't been for the actions of our member. Very definitely, she is a hero, yes. And I'm sure Bob is thankful. A gift is now waiting for Bob, who remains in hospital in critical condition. 
his neighbors keeping even closer watch on each other. With COVID also, there's so many people in here, for sure, who might be suffering from depression or something, and we don't know because they don't reach out. I would hope that somebody would do it for me or something. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Up next, a cougar in the driveway. Oh, no! No, Rita! Catching up with a family that recorded this intense encounter. Also, how residents are still trying to rise from the ruins of the Killiney Beach wildfire. Still slow for traffic in both directions here at the Lionsgate Bridge. Most of the delays are on the north side where it's backed up on the cloverleaf on the approach. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Wilson in the Global Traffic Center. A Saanich family is counting its blessings tonight after their dog came very close to a large cougar. Oh, no! No, Rita! The video shot by Jared Luco shows the big cat approaching their home near Bear Hill Park. That's when the family's husky Mika charged at the animal. Thankfully, the dog has great recall and they were able to scare the cougar away. The dog's owner says Mika is doing fine, but a little shaken up. Heart stops a little bit as, as my dog gets so much closer to this cougar. And it's, uh, it, was, it was just surreal. I know when, when she got back in the house afterwards, she had to lie down and, and she was shaking. It's scary yeah, it to come that close and, and to open your front door and, and notice a cougar on your, on your front doorstep. Police say the homeowners did a great job calling the dog back and being loud enough to scare off the cougar. Luco says they're going to keep Mika inside for a while. Well, five weeks after devastating floods tore through Merritt, hundreds of homes are still so badly damaged, residents won't be able to return for months. And finding a place to stay for some of them is proving to be a big challenge. Our story is from CFJC News. Roger Robichaud is cleaning what's left of his home after the Coldwater River flood left it unlivable. At 81 years old, he will be starting over. The only thing I got is a shell right now. Every appliance is are, are shot, you know, the brand new furnace up there, hot water tank, uh, the, uh, the, well, the, the dining room set, you know, everything was, is gone. He says insurance won't cover the damage. It's been difficult. The mayor of Merritt says she's asking the government to cover the full cost of repairs to each resident's home. Right now, only 80% of the funding is provided. Residents are responsible for the other 20%. I have had a conversation with Prime Minister Trudeau, and he has assured me that they will help with that. We haven't got anything in writing, and I don't know what help they will provide. While Brown waits for clarity from the Prime Minister, there is a shortage of places to stay in Merritt, and many evacuees are still scattered across the interior. 226 Merritt properties, like Rogers, remain on evacuation after being deemed uninhabitable. He says he is heartbroken about the things that cannot be replaced. My kids' uh, pictures about good time. Dishwashers can always be replaced, but those things, you know, uh, they're, they're gone. Amanda Lena Letario, CFJC News. Devastating. And a number, uh, another neighborhood uh, affected in the summer by wildfires is still trying to rebuild months later. Much of Killiney Beach on the shores of Okanagan Lake was destroyed. 
Darian Matassa Fung returned to see the slow recovery. It's been more than three months since the White Rock Lake wildfire ripped through the West Side Road community, and residents say the rebuilding process is turning out to be a slow one. Some of them, some of them I know pretty good, and that lost their homes, and and it's a lot of them have been out here doing some cleanup and getting ready to rebuild, but it's going to be a long time for people to get their houses redone again. Westside Road resident Bill Nutter, whose own home was spared by the fire, has talked to many of his displaced neighbors about what they're going to do next. There are some of them that are anxious to get at it. Now there are a couple that are not going to rebuild. Their heartbreak was just, they're going to give it up and sell the property. The regional district of central Okanagan says it's a lengthy process for the residents who lost their homes. They've had to deal with insurance claims and assessments and also getting approved for new permits. We've been uh, into the rebuilding phase, uh, talked to the regional district and, and they have issued a number of demolition permits which is first step uh, after uh, you've lost the house and uh, we're starting to issue some building permits now. One of the issues the regional district director foresees is getting the necessary contractors to the area to work on the homes. We're a long ways out, you know, if you're a, a, a contracting firm and you're working out of Vernon or Kelowna, uh, you know, you've got yourself a, a half hour drive each way just to get there. There are more than a few families in this boat. More than 80 homes were lost in this neighborhood to the White Rock Lake wildfire. Darian Matassa Fung, Global News. Coming up, a procreation It was hot and tropical and beachy. That We thought that would be nice for sort of the vibes maybe required. Why more and more couples are choosing to get away from it all to start a family. Also tonight, breakthrough research. What scientists just confirmed about the Omicron variant. It's winter maintenance is what's holding up eastbound traffic once again at the Portman Bridge. The HOV lane is blocked and traffic is slow from the Cape Horn Interchange on the approach. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, researchers at UBC have performed the first-ever molecular-level close-up of the protein spikes of the Omicron variant. And as Catherine Urquhart shows us, their findings are helping provide a better understanding of how and why the variant is so much more transmissible and the best way to fight it. We know the Omicron variant has 37 spike protein mutations, three to five times more mutations than any other variant. Now, more is being learned about Omicron thanks to UBC researchers who are first in the world to do a molecular-level structural analysis of it using a cryo-electron microscope. Which lets us look at the uh, structures of these proteins, the spike protein in complex with the cellular receptor at a very high level of detail. Spike proteins are key pieces of the COVID puzzle. They're how the virus attaches to and infects human cells. Small mutations can impact how our bodies fight it, the effectiveness of treatments, and how the virus is transmitted. 
Omicron is definitely spreading rapidly and is more transmissible than what we have seen with the Delta variants. Inside each hole we take these pictures where we can pick out each individual particle and then compile them on top of each other to create a 3D image. UBC's experiments confirm Omicron is better at evading treatments and immunity. Not great news, but researchers say there's reason to be hopeful. It informs us in terms of how we can go after discovering therapies, such as better antibodies or more effective uh, small molecules that might be able to inhibit the entry. We are happy that we are able to contribute to the work uh, in this area. UBC researchers proud to be part of a worldwide effort against the ongoing pandemic. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has authorized the use of the first COVID-19 antiviral pill. The FDA says the Pfizer drug called Paxlovid will be prescribed for adults and children ages 12 and older who are experiencing mild to moderate COVID symptoms and who are at risk of developing severe disease or needing hospitalization. While Pfizer's CEO says the company is ready to begin distributing the drug immediately, the supply is likely to be very limited at first. Pfizer is also stressing the pill is not a replacement for vaccinations. A new national report classifies Canada as a low-fertility country, meaning more people than ever are struggling to have children. And after years of heartbreak, one Edmonton couple, like many others, is turning to fertility tourism, and it's getting them a lot closer to their dream. Linda Huang and Mike Brown have been doing everything they can to have a baby for seven years. Diagnosed with unexplained infertility, they tried three expensive, heartbreaking rounds of intrauterine insemination, then decided to adopt. A year into that process, the adoption agency shut down. It's just another obstacle in this very long journey, and with each one, it kind of wears, wears on us. Their last resort to have a child is in vitro fertilization, IVF, and they chose to do it in paradise. And so I've been affectionately referring to it as a procreation vacation. <laughs> The Edmonton couple spent two weeks in Barbados earlier this month, where the fertility center claims to have one of the best success rates in the world, about 70%, depending on age. Linda and Mike felt after years of skyrocketing stress levels, the location alone would be helpful. It was hot and tropical and beachy. That We thought that would be nice for sort of the vibes maybe required. <laughs> to get pregnant. According to a new Statistics Canada report, our country's fertility rate has been steadily declining since 2008, reaching a record low of 1.4 children per woman in 2020. For Linda, trying fertility treatments in her home city was nerve-wracking. You're being secretive and you're kind of rushing to do this and then you got to go back to your day job. And then if you get a negative pregnancy test, you, you don't tell anyone and, and then you're sad all week. The cost of the IVF was comparable to Canada, about $10,000 plus travel expenses. But two embryos made it to Linda's uterus. The couple doesn't know if she's pregnant yet, but they say this Christmas will either be the best or the worst ever. We're being cautiously optimistic, but this is the furthest along that we have been. <laughs> so we're hopeful. Sulingo, Global News. We are hopeful for you too. Mm -hmm.
Coming up, restoring memories. I see him, like I see him inside the car. After losing her husband, she started a search for the old car he loved. But what she found far exceeded her expectations. And coming up in sports, how some of the young Canucks feel about missing a chance to go to the Olympics. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. All right, an update to our top story tonight. We are now expecting to learn the province's plan to support businesses affected by those new public health orders tomorrow. That's right. Keith Baldry has found out Jobs Minister Ravi Kalon and Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth are expected to hold a news conference at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. Uh, chances are we're going to have that live on BC1, I'm betting. So uh, keep it tuned in to that for more information about how they're going to support BC businesses. Right now, Old St. Nick is making a big splash at the Vancouver Aquarium this holiday season. Santa Claus, or Scuba Claus, takes a much-needed swim with some of his aquatic buddies. The holiday tradition is part of the aquarium's holiday splash event, where guests can visit with Santa, check out the jellyfish snow globe display. Santa will be diving daily at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. And due to limited space, visitors are reminded you have to book online. So cool. <laughs> All right, uh, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell with a look at our weather forecast. Did you say something about <laughs> possibly a white Christmas? Yeah, we're tracking that. We're getting, we're inching closer and closer. So yes, we'll talk about your Christmas forecast and beyond because we've got extreme cold that is on the way. Temperatures right now sitting at seven. We've had temperatures moderated slightly today, but the cold is making a return for tomorrow. It's going to be breezy at times right now. An easterly wind at 20 kilometers per hour. And as we get ahead towards tomorrow, anywhere between 20 and gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Bit of a lull in the action towards the west end for Metro Vancouver, but it is going to pick up. We still have some rainfall for this evening. Most of the precipitation will ease overnight along the south coast, but we still have a significant amount of snow that will continue to intensify, especially for higher elevations and extending into the southeastern corners of the province. So those traveling along the mountain passes will still continue to see the snow in towards tomorrow evening. Along the south coast tomorrow morning, just a few showers possible. It'll be towards the afternoon. And then we've got a wave that is going to move in. It'll be cold enough that we could see some wet snow mixed with rain and that takes us in towards our Monday or Friday morning rather. Now the mountain passes check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions but still Whistler sea to sky 20 and up to 25 centimeters and most of the mountain passes will have that range of upwards of 20 and potentially closer to 40 centimeters by tomorrow evening. Big weather story that we're following yes the potential for a white Christmas that'll be on Saturday temperatures cooling off and then uh, for our Boxing Day onwards, Sunday, we've got extreme cold with temperatures 5 and potentially 10 degrees below the average for Metro Vancouver and areas in the interior could anywhere, be anywhere between 10 and up to 20 uh, degrees below seasonal for this time of the year. So a big heads up as we get in towards next week. Different weather picture along the northern half of the province. A nice break for tomorrow. Much of the southern interior will see that snow. Heavy at times for higher elevations and easing off towards the evening. Along the south coast, cloud cover, a chance of showers by the afternoon. We are looking at the potential for some wet snowfall taking us in towards our Friday and we could be seeing a white Christmas. We'll be tracking that for our Saturday. Uh, tonight's weather window, a beautiful shot. This one, a gorgeous one that was taken moonlight over Chinook Cove. Guys? Lovely. Thank you, Yvonne. Got the uh, toboggan on standby. We'll see if it happens. Thanks. Thanks, Yvonne. All right, here is Squire with a look ahead to sports. And um, 
Yeah, are we, are we going to be the 12 North now? Yes, we will be 12 North. Officially. If you're a Seahawk fan, you can sure. be 12 North. Yes, the Seahawks are planning. We talked about this last week. They're planning to have more of a presence in our province with player visits, fan engagements, and football clinics, but that's not all. We also uh, um, are counting on being able to play a, a, a game up there um, in the not-too-distant future. And hopefully that means a regular season game at BC Place at some point. We'll hear what the Seahawks' plans are for what they are calling 12 North. And later, she lost the love of her life but found something so special to keep his memory alive. All right, Squire is here with Sports Dow. We had sort of uh, been anticipating this, Squire, but uh, it's real today. It is real. It was uh, announced this morning that the NHL is not going to send its players to the Olympics, which I can tell you is not devastating to the NHL owners. They never wanted to send the players. It was the players who really wanted to go, especially considering this will be the second straight Olympics that they'll have to go without NHL stars. The players had pushed the owners to let them go. But once the Omicron variant took hold and 50 games were postponed before Christmas, the league needed the Olympic break to play those games that have been missed. For a number of Canuck players, it means missing the Olympic games. Guys like Elias Pettersson would have been there for sure. And of course, the Vancouver Canucks have a very strong contingent of American players who likely would have gone. Demko, Besser, Miller, and Hughes. And Bruce Boudreaux feels bad for all of them and all the others who can't go now. Well, it's a shame. I think the world loves the Olympics uh, as far as uh, as the competition goes. The best in in some of these countries are extremely good, and uh, we as Canadians always feel that we're the best, and so we'd love to go there and and prove it. Um, but at the same time, safety first. I mean, the thought of potentially quarantining in in China for anywhere from three to five weeks is not very exciting. Um, and uh, I mean, if it was in Salt Lake City or Whistler, I mean, you know, that's not a bad place to be quarantined, but, uh, uh, I don't know if, uh, the players would want to be so far away from home over there and, and, and be by themselves. I don't really know. Uh, it's not like I knew I had a spot on the team or anything. Uh, so it's definitely didn't have my hopes up. Um, it would have been an awesome experience, but it's also a situation where, um, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now, so I think we did it for the safety of the players and their players' families, and, um, you know, it is what it is. You know, hopefully we get a, a couple of days off in that in that February uh, bracket, and um, we can rest and, and regroup and then, you know, push again. So I think it will be good if we uh, if we take advantage of time and um, keep playing the way we are. And Pat Colson has time to stop it. Last week, the Seattle Seahawks were told by the NFL that they can increase their presence in Western Canada, specifically B.C., where they have 3,300 season ticket holders, and they sell around 13,000 single-game tickets every season to people from B.C. The Hawks want to start spending more time here as soon as 2022, COVID permitting. 
Seahawks want to raise the 12 flag over our part of the world in various ways. You know, low-hanging fruit is a, uh, a viewing party or two during the, during the regular season, getting a great big group of people together to cheer on the Seahawks, you know, sort of sharing that experience. But throughout the offseason, there's a ton of opportunity for us to come up. We'd love to partner with folks who are already making an investment in youth uh, foot, amateur football, but we also just want to come up and sort of share the, the Seahawks experience, bring up some current players, bring up some former players who people know and love. Which Seattle has done in the past. After they won the Super Bowl, Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, and the Lombardi Trophy came up to UBC. But those kinds of visits will be more consistent, especially because the Seahawks have a lot of fans in this area. We've always had a strong support, um, especially from BC, from a ticket holder standpoint, from a fan base standpoint, you know, a little over 50% of those who've raised their hands in various ways to say they're a Seahawks fan are in BC. The biggest part of the NFL giving the Seahawks more leeway to promote and visit our province is the very real chance of a regular season game at BC Place, now that the Seahawks will have nine home games every second season. That's kind of what we signed up for. And, and you know, I mean, we talk about the most important part of the Seahawks experience is game day. And Lumen Field's a wonderful, amazing electric place on game day. But to come and do that in Canada um, is just something we're kind of salivating over. And if you're wondering, the Seattle Seahawks did play at BC Place Stadium back in 1998. It was an exhibition game against Jerry Rice, Steve Young, and the San Francisco 49ers. But as you heard, the next time they do it, it'll likely be a regular season game. The Toronto Raptors were supposed to play the Chicago Bulls tonight, but a COVID outbreak, which now includes OG Ananobi, has forced the NBA to postpone the game until a later date. The Raptors could not come up with the minimum eight healthy players to play this game. Among those in protocol, along with Ananobi, is Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. It's everywhere. I don't know why they didn't call me. I would have played. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, sorry, I, I didn't mean to laugh. Yeah, it's, yeah it was completely <laughs> Would well. you have been able to cross the border in time? No, that's a good point. <laughs> This, All right, thanks, Squire. <laughs> the search for a car that's the link to a lost loved one. That story coming up next. Well, this holiday season, a Toronto family is giving thanks for a miracle they say has changed their lives. After losing their loved one, they tracked down the old car that was his passion. And by bringing it back to life, they're keeping his memory alive, too. Catherine Ward shows us how they did it. I see him, like I see him inside the car. Marissa Petitella and her family in 2021 with an impossible dream of tracking down a car. If we could find it, that would be one of the best things ever. That dream came true one snowy day in January in the back lot of an auto shop. Surreal. Like I, I feel so overwhelmed with emotion. You see this Honda, that blue one that no longer ran, the one with the rusting frame that had long lost its original saffron orange exterior, might not have looked like much. But to Marissa, it was priceless, as it once belonged to her husband Anthony, who died more than 10 years ago of cancer. Getting the vehicle back was emotional. Restoring it has been another adventure, given it was in such bad shape. Because the car's so old and so rare, it would be very hard to find the parts at this point. 
So if you could find a donor car of the same year in, in decent shape, then it would be far easier to just kind of lift and land. See him again in there. The family didn't know where to find one, but someone from the car community reached out. It was unbelievable within 24 hours that he came through with this, and it was exactly what we needed. Out of nowhere, more people from across Canada stepped up to help. Staff at the garage where Anthony worked came back together to help rebuild the car. A towing company in Markham offered to bring the donor car there free of charge. Brake calipers were donated by friends in Mississauga. Ebac Springs sourced in St. Catharines. An airbox and intake was sent from Langley, British Columbia. Piece by piece, one donation after another, years of wear and tear melted away. It was just such a sense of joy to know that people wanted to be a part of this and, and to help us. And then in December came the paint. Oh my God. Unreal. Watching that whole process of six months just pass through your eyes and now finally you've got color on it, it just, it starts to bring the whole project together. A color that instantly transports Marissa to another place. Standing here amongst all these people, but I'm literally like brought right back to a time where I feel him. It's coming back, look at it. As one coat and then another washed over the beloved vehicle, so too did the tears on the cheeks of Anthony's family. In the, in the shop, right there, I felt it right. He was watching us. Like he was watching me with the girl. Until then, the vehicle remains a miracle for the family and a sign that anything is possible with the love and support of others. We're keeping him alive in our everyday lives and that, you know, we're bringing this to the girls. And that's the most important thing for me is that we have a piece of him in some capacity for the girls. Wow. Catherine Board, Global News. Wow. Pretty cool. Gorgeous car. Cool color. All right. Uh, final word on weather to Yvonne. Uh, we are looking at a few showers for tomorrow, but then it picks up with wet snow mixed with rain into our Friday. And we're tracking some snow for Sunday. So heads up for Christmas Day and for Santa as well. Sounds encouraging. <laughs> Thanks very much for watching, everyone. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night, all.